Welcome. This edition of Toby Haydock's Who's Round is being done according to the rule book. Well, this is as show as it gets. I'm in Joe Allen's uh, with an actor uh, whose work I've always admired, so I'm delighted to be joined by him for this edition of Who's Round. So I'm going to ask him who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Well, I'm Clive Merrison, and I presume you're talking to me about Doctor Who because I've been in it twice. Uh, you started off in Tomb of the Cybermen. Yes, uh, I was a child. It was my first ever... TV. I didn't know anything, and I, I see it now. I mean, there was the shock of not seeing it for so long, and then it being discovered in a skip in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. something like that, and then and seeing it in the, the Princess Anne Theatre, BAFTA, with 800,000 people and all that, and seeing me, 21 years old, doing this terrible American accent, looking completely lost, um, just it's a totally embar- embarrassing experience. Um, my performance is Jim Callum. Well, I, I wrote a book with a writer of Doctor Who called Rob Shearman, uh, who's written some fine uh, uh, storms of Doctor Who and other things. And uh, we spend and, and the whole thing of the book was even in the episodes that we struggled to find anything good to say, we had to we had to accentuate the positive. Yeah. And there's a whole uh, there's a whole entry about you as Jim Callum uh, because how can that possibly I, be? Because it's such a lovely. I think you do. I think you do quite a lot. I've never been it. on television before. I didn't know what I was doing. I was a lost boy. And there was this horrible director called Morris Barry who treated me like a whipping boy, and uh, I was to blame for everything. I didn't know what I was doing. He was a horrible man. Uh, and you know, revenge is a dish, dish taken, best taken cold. <laughs> um, I thought I'd, I'll get him back eventually. And I think we fast forward about 15 years, and um, he was appointed head of drama at BBC Wales. And I was down there just before he was appointed, and I poisoned every well he went to. He lasted <laughs> three months. I got my own back on the. Is he dead? He is. Not oh, yes. thank God for that. I mean, not because I wish him dead, but because um, he can't sue me. He, so what, what, how did that manif- manifest? Because it's, 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 it's not an uncommon story. Oh, it's a very, a very common story. You know, I've worked with people that were... Uh, people that like whipping boy. I mean, John Dexter I worked with, and he famously did, but he, he never treated me like that. But, you know, it's one of those guys that you know, spot the weakest and then go for them. And I was very, very weak because I'd never been on television before. And I, I, I think I was palmed off on him in some deal with my agent. I don't know what it was. But there we are. And, you know, I didn't know anybody. I knew Michael Kilgariff, the... Um, Cyber controller. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I knew him because I'd worked on radio a lot. Because um, I got the radio drama rep award at drama school. So I went straight from drama school to the BBC drama radio rep, which is an extraordinary thing to do, really. And I met Michael there. And then afterwards, I think I did uh, Oxford Playhouse, and then my first TV was Doctor Who. <laughs> and it was so exciting, of course, because I was a fan of Doctor Who in those days. Uh, and you were in Lime Grove, and you did it all in one go. And they played in the music. And so you're standing there, and they go, ten, nine, eight, I'm in Doctor Who. 
it was marvellous. Great feeling. And I, I saw you interviewed at the time that it came back. Um, and you, you said you liked, you, you liked Patrick Troughton, but you also thought I he, loved was, Patrick he was very sexy. Yeah, so I qualify that for me. Well, I, I, I think it was, a, it was a, a bromance between a, an older actor. Yeah, he was just, um, I think he was a most sexy actor. I mean, all good actors, red actors, you've got to be sexy. Doesn't matter how, how ugly you are. I mean, Charles Lawton is sexy. Spencer Tracy is sexy. It's, 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 it's an odd thing. It's a kind of chemical thing, you know, and, and Patrick had that. He was naughty. He was cheeky, you know. Not in the kind of outre way that Tom Baker did, but, you know, he was subversively sexy, and I know everyone loved him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was a wonderful actor. And, of course, he invented the phrase... I don't do theatre acting, I can't do any more of that shouting in the evenings. That was, that was Patrick. Yeah. Yeah. Something um, I've always borne in mind. You have too much of shouting in the evenings, that's for sure. But I mean, it would, I, I loved those days. Um, I loved the North Acton Hilton that we all rehearsed at, you know? Uh, it was, it was marvellous. I mean, there's these, all these tables, and you know, the all creatures great and small, and the, the Doctor Who, and Howard's Way, and and then you know, everyone got matey, and everyone went to the pub, and everything and stayed far too late with Norman Broadway getting us drunk, and and all that stuff. And all the older actors used to uh, creep down the offices and ask all the PAs down, "What's going on, darling? Um, anything that might be suitable for me coming up in the palaces?" <laughs> and they they all get their work like that. It was, it was an extraordinary kind of thing. It didn't go on anymore. And of course, in those days, we rehearsed. You know, we used to meet in church halls with terrible acoustics and actually rehearse this. You know. Well, and you mentioned because because we were talking about um, the uh, the William Hartnell biopic, and you mentioned that you knew um, some of the people involved in the early days, Doctor. So you knew you knew Verity and you knew Warris the same. Yeah, I was a great friend of Verity and um, her, her husband at the time, and uh, Colin Buxey, who. Um, it's now gone to America. He's going to get arrested here, and he's got an Emmy for directing Breaking Bad and Fargo. Ha, ha, ha. I have uh, Colin all my life, and he, he's, he's always terrific. And, uh, yeah, Verity and Boris Hussain, I, uh, I did the glittering prizes for when I was a boy. And that was the first um, after my debacle in uh, Doctor Who, <laughs> in my view. Uh, the glittering prizes was uh, the, the first kind of big thing I did on TV. And then I worked for Boris a few times after that. Marvellous bloke, and he was played in the uh, in the film you're talking about by Sasha Dewan, who's who's a friend of mine because he he played the Asian boy in History Boys. I remember when he when he said uh, History Boys, I said what are you going to do next? He said, oh, I have to go back to playing terrorists, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he's done well. I mean, all those boys have done well. It's been so thrilling for me to watch them. We're all turning up in the Alan Bennett film um, they're doing at the moment, Lady in the Van, with uh, Maggie Smith. And Alan Bennett playing himself, and Alex Jennings playing the young Alan Bennett, and the whole cast of the History Boys are in it, doing walk-ons. Oh, that's nice. We've all agreed. Yep, I've got one word. <laughs> uh, I follow the smelly um, Maggie Smith out of the confessional. I go in and go. <laughs> so that'll that'll be fun. And the History Boys, that was quite a big. Uh, was that? A, I mean, it's certainly when you read interviews with the young actors, it was a you know a major. Um, uh, turning point yeah. for them in their careers, but 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 for you, I mean, you, you were with it for a long time. It destroyed my career. <laughs> it destroyed it. <laughs> yeah, headmasters and all the rest of it forever. And, um, no, I, I remember watching a run through of it with Frankie Delatour, 
and, and Richard Griffiths, and we were watching these boys, and just, uh, just saying to Frankie, look, forget it. The boys are the stars of this show. That's it. <laughs> when, when it came to them doing the film, did you ever have that worry that uh, you know, successful theatre productions quite often get turned into films, but not, not all the cast um, make it over? Did you? Well, I mean, I, I was in the, um, the cast of... I replaced Charlie Kay in The Madness of George III, and I did it in the National and on tour in America. And, uh, but I didn't think I'd get it in the film, and indeed, um, I think Ian Holm played my part. Yeah. That's all right. And uh, I, I was rather worried that uh, Tony Hopkins might um, uh, play my part as the headmaster, but he didn't. Uh, Nick was loyal. But I mean, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, no, one's, no one said it was going to be fair. No. No. That's for sure. Um, so, well, let's go back to, 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 to before Doctor Who um, and what led you there. So, were, were we always going to act, and uh, what? Well, I what don't know. I don't. I don't know what it was. I mean, I, you know, I was. I was. Um, I, I lived in a little Welsh seaside town called Tenby in Pembrokeshire. I'd, I'd never seen any professional theatre. I was involved in amateur theatre uh, and all the rest of it. And um, my. my my family on my mother's side were involved with Gilbert and Sullivan and all the rest of it. I, uh, I just found myself... I think I met some bloke. Um, and he was doing jazz and poetry. Christopher Logue and Stan Tracy. Red Bird, sun like an apple, stiffens the wheat, made your body with joy. Christopher Logue, wonderful voice. Have you ever heard it? Red Bird. It's worth checking out. Jazz and poetry was very much of its time. It's all, we all had... Um, you know, I immediately got a pair of... Um, I got um, a black polar neck and all the rest of it. Started um, smoking Turkish cigarettes. At seventeen, <laughs> but uh, it, it was that really. And you know, I, I I ended up at drama school. I didn't know how it happened. It was a mistake. A mistake. I got into art college as well. I sometimes think I made the wrong turn. Really, so maybe I should have gone to art college. I remember my art teacher was really off with me that I didn't. But um, there we are. And I haven't painted since. But I mean, you're being you're being rueful. Like you can't, you can't say that you, re- you regret being that. You've had a career that most actors would uh, give their eye teeth for. Well, well, the eye teeth. They might have given their, their uh, crowns and their dentures. <laughs> but not their eye teeth. <laughs> well, it's. I mean, I was looking at some of the um, uh, television credits from the '60s. I mean, it's very interesting that there's. You know, it's a BBC and it's a way of making television that's unrecognisable. You've alluded to the actor Hilton and, and that sort of thing. And you worked with directors like Warris and uh, Hugh David, I noticed, did a 30-minute theatre. Yeah, did. yeah, with Hugh Griffith. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I've been trying to get a copy of that forever because it was an extraordinary thing. It was just me and Hugh Griffith, and he was my hero. And, um, you know, I was his, uh, his son through incest, and he showed me a photograph of his, my mother in the thing, and it was a photograph of my mother that I gave him. And he was so naughty, Hugh. He said, oh, look at your mother. I could f*** her now. <laughs> so for goodness sake, Hugh. And uh, we rehearsed in his bedroom. And it was a half-hour um, TV thing. We did it in Cardiff, yeah. And it was half-hour. The first run-through was an hour long, because he got all the words wrong. And the second one was 20 minutes. And somehow <laughs> it was cut together. I mean, God knows I'm probably as bad as I was in Doctor Who, because I didn't really know what I was doing, but it was just, he was a hero to me, you know. And I'd just been doing a play in the West End, playing a sort of Welsh minor, and I based it on Hugh. 
Marcy, because I'm, I'm writing a book about Quatermass, and he was in Quatermass too. Ah, Quatermass. That scared the shit out of me when I was young. The whole of my family. The Mark. Yeah, The Mark. Oh. Yeah, that's Quatermass too. Yeah. And which he's in. Um, Is but, he really? Yeah, yeah. And um, quite unsure of his lines, I think, at times. And, and He always was. He was most of the time. That, well, that was what... I mean, I, you know, I, I did a, a Sherlock Holmes thing with Trevor Howard. And he was a hero of mine, all that. And he turned up on the... Um, can I digress on this? Yeah, of course, this is all. He, um, it was uh, the, um, the sign of four. It's odd, because I went on to play Sherlock Holmes on the radio, but this, I was playing Bartholomew, the son of this guy. And anyway, it was Trevor Howard. God, I'm And he turned up and he had this grey flowing hair and these knotted kerchiefs and he had minders with him to make sure he didn't drink. And he was absolutely... I thought, Christ, I'm working So we, we go down. Desmond Davis is right. And we go down uh, to Shepparton to do the first scene and he can't remember a damn thing. So they get idiot cards up. But he gets he can, can speak one word from the idiot card, then he's forgotten which word. Yeah, just his brain is gone. The, the, the brain, you know, and he started crying. So I'm cradling him. I'm cradling this hero of mine, saying it's going to be all right, it'll be fine. And that night, we would finish this thing. I mean, it was terrible. And um, in the morning, I, I I got a phone call from um, from Desmond Davis saying we've lost Trevor. I said, Do you, you mean he's dead? No, 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 listen, we've lost Trevor. What do you mean we've lost him? Has he gone missing? He said, listen, we've lost Trevor. Marina Martin, his agent, saw the rushes. And I went down the next day and Thorley Waters was lying there. And that was it. How did we get there? From um, Hugh Griffith. Uh, Hugh Griffith, drinking. Uh, drinker, drinker, drinker yeah. actors. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd still say that you show me, show me a, an actor who's not had a drink and a cigarette, and they're, they're not good actors. <laughs> That's music to yeah. Richard E. Grant. And so, when you're doing um, all the television in the 60s, are you. Are you um, well, not much in the 60s. You, but, so you're spending most of your time doing, doing theatre or London theatre? No, I used to do a lot of um, fringe stuff. I used to work at the Bush a lot. And I was very interested, as I still am, in new writing. In those days, it was, you know, portable theatre and, and uh, Howard Brenton and uh, Howard Barker and Snow Wilson and all that. And, uh, my, my best friend used to run the Bush, Bush Theatre, Dusty Hughes, and um, Bertie Bargate at the Soho Poly. I used to do a lot of... So I, I used to, in a rather grand way, think I, 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 shall, um, I shall use my fees from TV uh, to do this experimental new writing work on the fringe of things at lunchtime, which is what I effectively did for quite a long time. Well, and when you came back to do, Let's Do Doctor Who and then grow around it, when you came back to Doctor Who, having done it in the 60s when it was a, a very early job and... Uh, According to yourself, you you didn't know what you were doing. By by the time you came to do something, I knew exactly coins, what I was doing. Yes, you and in a in a Doctor Who story that um, uh, Doctor Who fans, I think, have mixed feelings about. Well, they're right to. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about Paradise Towers. Well, um, the funny thing about that was, 
Richard Bryars, you know, he, he probably did the, chi- the chief caretaker and he did it with that kind of bureaucrat. Stuff. So I'm, I'm the deputy chief caretaker. So I think, oh, well, I shall. He obviously mimics his boss. So I want to talk like that as well. So we were both talking like that. And we did the, uh, you know, North Acton. We used to do the producer's run. You know, the, the, all the lines were down on the floor and all the producer came down. John Nathan Turner. And uh, I did, I did, he's the most beloved of um, uh, Doctor Who producers. Uh, uh, mixed themes about him. I, I don't know. Uh, his, um, anyway, he did the producer's run and he took us aside, me and Richard Bryce, and said, you're both taking the piss. And, and Richard went, what? Oh, you're taking the piss? It's his fault. <laughs> I said, what? What are, you, what are you talking about? He said, you, you, you've led me on. He said, oh, this is awful, awful. I'm going to end up running an antique shop somewhere. <laughs> we didn't turn it down much but we had a few laughs but the biggest laugh was I always thought was you know um, Brenda Bruce and Elizabeth Spriggs were in it Elizabeth Spriggs I worked with her on uh, lots of things Shine on Harvey Moon and she was a bit of a drinker and when she had a drink she would, she would suddenly tell some awful truth to an actor I remember her saying to me once when she was a bit drunk and she said, I think you're marvellous because I have all this work you've done and I've watched you all your career since you were a young man and I've admired you and I've why are you all always so f***ing camp? <laughs> think, oh. And apparently she said to Brenda Bruce, uh, this is what the antipathy was between them, oh Brenda, all those years of playing queens and empresses and all these wonderful figures of authority and I always think, how can she do it on those little fat legs? <laughs> <laughs> and so, but there was a scene in this thing, I can't even remember, where Brenda has to get her by her legs and stuff her down a waste disposal unit and I've never seen an actor be so happy as Brenda was in that moment. <laughs> Oh, so all, all things were not sweetness and light in the. Uh, oh no, it, it was just fine. It was very much. Uh, it was very much subtext. It was going on ah. there. Ha, ha, ha. It's a curious but they were both wonderful actors. I mean, Elizabeth Spriggs was a wonderful actress, and and and, and Brenda was. They, they were marvellous, and there they were playing these old biddies in this thing, with all this history between them. But that's what's fun. You know, I remember doing um, Miss Marple, and uh, and Tom Wilkinson and I and Selena Cadell, we'd heard there was a midnight shoot between um, Joan Hickson and, oh my God, I can't remember her name, this wonderful old fruity-voiced actress. Oh, I can't remember her name. Anyway, we all knew that she'd said that, in her view, Joan was too common to play Marple. <laughs> we went to see them filming this scene and watched these two old uh, dinosaurs gnawing at each other. Oh, it was lovely. What the hell was her name? I can't remember. I'll tell you later. I remember Selena, Tom and I watching these two old girls. Action and just watching them. Facing off with each other. Getting tusks into each other. (laughs) In Miss Marple. (laughs) And what about, so you'd worked with um, Patrick, you know, consummate actor. Sylvester came from a slightly different background. Uh, Yes, I knew him from his uh, his previous background because I was always uh, quite close to um, the uh, Ken Campbell crowd and so I, I, I knew him and we were fond of each other and um, yeah it was, it was a funny choice of casting I suppose but I mean it was of its time and there he was and there Bonnie Langford was and there we are but, and yet it's, a, it's an odd old story and yet you, you look, as you say you look at the cast Richard Bryce, Clive Merrison Judy Cornwall Brenda Bruce yeah Judy was in it wasn't she yeah yeah, yeah. 
you've got good actors, you've got good casting yeah. doctors. Yeah, well, John, John, doing it. John Nathan thing, he must have been very pleased with himself. He was, he was doing a lot of panto, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And all that. Yeah. So it was a bit... He was a bit of a panto. showman, a bit of an old-fashioned Yeah, He was well, almost I, born out of time. Yeah, I thought he was lovely, and I, I shall never forget that moment when he told Richard Bryce and I that we were taking the piss. <laughs> well, why not? <laughs> and the do you producer's the... run. It was a horrible thing, because, you know, all the cast would do this, and then they'd say, you'd finish the run, and they'd say, uh, you can all go to the canteen now. And you go off like, you know, naughty schoolboys. And well, the producer and all the hobnobs. And then you come down and they told you how you did. Or whether you were sacked. <laughs> it was like that. <laughs> another time, another time. So in between Tomb and, uh, and, uh, uh, and, and Paradise Towers, you're, uh, you were now playing very different parts. So what, is, what, what do you think had been your, your, your breakthrough to, to move you from sort of young actor playing a very small part in Two of the Sidemen to a Well, the, the Littering Prizes was, the, was, the, thing, the, was the, the thing, really. And it was for a lot of us, you know, it was for Tom Conti, for um, Nigel Havers, for um, all, all sorts of actors. I can't remember who else was in it. They all did very well. Yeah. Um, Tim Pickersmith, who's in the West End at the moment. Yes. He's, he's not, because he's injured. Apparently, Miles Richardson is brilliant. In yeah, stead. I'm sure he is. I was asked if I'd go in, go in and play Miles Richardson's part while while Tim recovered. I said, you can go <laughs> yourself. You do that. <laughs> but, you know, they can only ask. Absolutely. Um, well, Miles Richardson is. He's a very good actor. Yeah. Ian Richardson's son. Yeah. yeah. Ian Richardson, who was one of the best that Holmes film I did, uh, that Trevor got the sack from, um, Ian played Holmes. And he's brilliant. You know, and then he got some dodgy American directors. Remember Joe Melia was in it and saying to me, when the uh, producers look like the menu of a Hungarian restaurant, you know you're in trouble. <laughs> and everyone was being sacked, apart from Joe and I. And he said, God, he said, I'm normally the first one to be sacked. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> and they had a terrible time because the American producers said that uh, Ian Richardson was talking too fast and they'd have to dub it. How can you dub someone that's talking too fast? It's impossible. Yes. It's absolutely impossible. It's impractical. You can't. Well, and you, <laughs> and you bring us very neatly to Sherlock Holmes, so... Oh, do I? Oh, God. You are, you are the only actor that's played Sherlock Holmes in every single yep, Sherlock par- Holmes story. Apparently, yep. But I, so, I am not a Holmesian, in the same way that I'm not a Hoovian. Uh, I know nothing about Sherlock Holmes. I can't remember a single plot of anything I was in. But I'm assuming when it started, that wasn't necessarily the, the plan. So how did it come about... That you, or did you know when you did it that you were going to be doing them all, or was it? No, no, it kind of grew. I mean, at first it was just the study in Scarlet, the opening story, and then it became another novel, and then the BBC, it was Richard Imerson and John Tiedemann, who were the heads of drama at the time, uh, decided they'd do the whole damn lot. And um, we finally whittled it all down because we particularly fond of one writer, Bert Cools, who, um, I mean, a lot of lovely writers on it but Bert always could write for for Michael Williams and I and um, he's just written a stage play uh, two parts stage play which is brilliant but I'm afraid I'm a little bit too long on the tooth to play with Holmes now I'm nearly 70 and that won't work and I can't learn two hours of uh, duologue I I no longer have the capability well I probably could but I'd be be a whole year learning it and I'd have a nervous breakdown that's no good because we, we've talked about a few things that you've said said no to. So what what, what has to 
what is it about an acting job that comes up now that, that makes you want to do it? I live in a wood in Suffolk, and there's going to be something to get me out of my wood, because I'm very happy in my wood. It's called semi-retirement. Uh, but if, if, if someone asks for me and I fancy it, I'm there. But I, I, I've just done a stage play and it nearly killed me. I was very exhausted. And they wanted me to do a play at, at Bath afterwards, and I just thought, sorry, I'm going to get back to the wood. I've got to, I've got to start eating again. I've got to, I've got to get better. <laughs> and, I mean, you've, you've done... Um, all the mediums, media. So, do you, do you have a preference to film, television, theatre, and radio? No. No, 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 no. I, I like to think I'm. I mean, I'm quite a vivid actor. I always have been, a bit on the juicy side, and um, I, I'm hoping I'm doing less, but probably not. Oh, I do, well, I, I don't think we want you to. <laughs> to, to, I mean, I've, I did mention I was going to mention this, and one of many parts, but it's um, your, your drunken Tory MP in uh, Drop the Dead Donkey. Is well, just, was, that's just fantastic. I was thinking about that the other day <laughs> because I was listening. I'm a big fan of The Archers, and Paul Roy, who's um, just been unfaithful to Haley with Elizabeth. Do you follow The Archers? I well, do. so uh, And he had to do drunk acting, and it's very, very difficult just doing it vocally. Uh, and I, and I, was, I was remembering that thing because the important thing about a drunk is he doesn't slur he is more careful about pronouncing everything very clearly and all that and it's very hard to do that on radio on the, physically you can do it drunk acting and Dick Van Dyke was the most wonderful wonderful drunk acting uh, physically uh, but it's, 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 a, it's an actor's graveyard playing drunk but I, di- but I did remember having to play the whole of that Tory MP, wasn't yeah, I? Yeah, yeah. We horribly drunk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was I believable? I haven't You said. were f- absolutely terrific. Oh, really? There's a, there's a brilliant bit where you put the glass down behind you and somebody goes to take it away from you and just go, leave it, and then they back uh, off. Oh, right. um, yeah, no, it's a good yeah, I used to Yeah, I used to work a lot for those two, um, Andy Hamilton and uh, Guy. They haven't asked for me for a while. I don't know if there's anything I said. <laughs> Who's to know? But I follow their career with interest. Uh, it's a great turn. Because uh, well, I did a whole comedy thing with them called the Kit Curran, Kit Curran Radio, Radio Show. Yeah, Dennis doing, Lawson. With, yeah, yeah. Dennis and... Uh, Paul Brooks. And, and Paul, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we went to... I think we had three seasons of them. I don't know. Or maybe two, two. I, I did so many comedy shows then, and none of them ever took off. Kit Curran was good. I really enjoyed Kit Curran. Yeah, I did one with Brenda Blethyn, too, that we just went to two. And then I did an extraordinary one, Roy Clark one, with Bernard Breslau and, and um, that Scottish actor, Fulton Mackay, Marvel's yeah. actor. And I think that did too. I, I never went beyond two seasons. There was, I remember you, do, you had a great I remember David Jason saying to me, hang in there. I, I, did, <laughs> I did loads. And, um, and finally, I got there. Say, well, not me, David. I remember you did one with... Um was it with Michael Williams and um, Anne Bell and Jennifer Hill? Yeah. He played a character called Derek. Yeah, that's very right. funny. It was a, yeah, it was a kind of closet gay guy, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. <laughs> strange guy. And oh, yeah, Gareth Gwynlaw, I remember the, the, he said that was going to be the new. Uh, that thing with Felicity um, Kendall in The Good Life. It's going to be the new one. Well, we'll be doing it for the rest of our lives. And they just cut it. And he didn't even ring us up. They were, they were really off with Gareth Gwynland. Sorry, Gareth, but we weren't. <laughs> and uh, I was t- uh, as I was walking here, I was talking with a friend of mine, and he said, oh, ask him about how um, 
how Fierce Creatures came about, because that was filmed the other side. Heavenly Creatures? Yeah, yeah. He- he- sorry, yes. Heavenly well, creatures. I look like the guy. That's all. I look like Henry Hugh. They got better or something, you know, and I went in and um, all that. And so I didn't know anything about Peter Jackson. And the producer, Jim Booth, who I became very friendly with, he wouldn't let me see any Peter Jackson films. So, you know, all those kind of spattering blood movies yeah. he did and all that stuff. He said, if I saw them, they really put me off. And he was right. So I ended up in New Zealand um, doing that with Peter Jackson. That's a great who, who he, really, part. he didn't know how to write actors at all. And I, from what I gather, he still can't. He just sits in his booth with his headphones on, and he was always like that, Peter. He said to me once, he said, he said, oh, Clive, um, now, let's see, could you be funnier? He said, uh, Peter, could I have a little word with you about actors and what you say to them? And you don't say that. It was like that, you know. <laughs> but I made a big mistake on Heavenly Creatures. He said, uh, you know, he said, um, Will the fact uh, that you're in this film, Clive, will it, will it uh, improve its chances of uh, doing well in Europe? I said, well, uh, in all honesty, I, I have to say, Peter, I don't think it will. Now, if you had Ian McKellen or something, and when it came to Lord of the Rings, it didn't ask for me. It hasn't asked for me since. And I made his name. <laughs> but it was fun, you know, and... Um, and the, the 18 years old Kate Winslet was, and she was on that wonderful cusp between girl and woman. And I felt kind of very responsible for her, because Peter was no help. And, uh, and she was fighting with the other girl a lot, who wasn't an actress. And uh, I used to have a law. And the, there was another actress I was having a problem with. I can't name her. And um, so I did an awful lot of remedial stuff with Kate. And it went on, she just called me Uncle Clive. And she rang me from the set of Titanic. She was having trouble with James, what's his face? Cameron. Yeah. And things um, like that. And I sent her messages via her agent and all the rest of it. But she's a bit too grand for that now. I think she's forgotten Uncle Clive. But did you know But there was, was a time. <laughs> oh. But did you, did you get a sense that she had... Something? I knew it. Yeah? I knew it. And I came back. And I know she came back. And she went back to work for the, uh, the deli. She worked for in Hampstead. And uh, I remember uh, talking to my casting director friends saying, this is a brilliant girl. Oh, and then uh, one of them, she, she went up for a, and, uh, Susie Figgis had her up for a Neil Jordan, but I didn't want to know. But in the end, I had the laugh, and as Susie Figgis listens to me now, I can tell you. So I've met this young person. Because I still, I met a, a young man last night at the Still and Thomas thing I did. My wife and I met him thinking, hmm, this boy is good. We're gonna, because that's what you do. That's yeah. how it works. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're going to hopefully get him a job. <laughs> well, the other side of that, then, of nurturing new talent, obviously... As, Very important as, to me, as, always has been. Well, it's nice to know. Um, and, and a lot of actors don't actually see that as their responsibility and much more about themselves, so kudos to you. Thank you. Um, the other side of that is, as obviously an actor's actor, you like actors, you like acting, and the profession. who are some of the actors that maybe perhaps when you were younger or, or, or that you've encountered... As a, an actor, that purely as actors, you go, well, they're 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 difficult to beat. Well, I mean, uh, that I work with. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, Olivier, uh, Olivier was the the, uh, the big um, person for me, and for anyone that was in the Olivier Company in the early seventies, I mean, um, Sir was the one. You know, he was kind of god to us. And I listened the other day to 
there's a wonderful um, that film where they get people all right and they talk about past and it was it was Maggie Smith Derek Jacobi Gaskell and Gamblin talking about the early days of the National Theatre and Michael Michael is talking about her and he just starts weeping when he starts talking about Olivier his generosity I mean he he brought me on as a young actor he put faith in me and you know and, and as should happen you know I got some, the parts got bigger not that big but for a 26 year old spear carrier he developed me, and I was just in awe of him, you know. And um, there was a terrible, long anecdote. It was the first night of Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Zeffirelli production, right? And um, Sir had terrible trouble with his lines and stage fright, you know, the black dog. I used to go in every night, and he had a, there was a scene where Olivier and the playwright were on stage. She leaves. Uh, and he he takes me under his wing. He's a hat maker, and shows me how to iron a hat. A lot of dialogue, a lot of iron hat. And so at the quarter every night, I go in, and there he is putting on far too much makeup and all this stuff as he used to do. And I go through the lines, the lines, the lines. And it's the first night, and I and Plowright leaves the stage, and I look at him, and I think he's gone. There's nothing there, and he's. He, he was so frightened. And he was so frightened, he, he, he started a nosebleed. And his moustache had to come off. And I thought, I'm 26 years old. I'm on stage with the greatest, arguably, greatest living actor in the world. What do I do? I ended up doing all his dialogue, all my dialogue, and I ironed the hat. <laughs> and he left. He left. And I, I was in the days. It was the first night. And then I went into the wings, and he was standing there, and he just grabbed me and he said thank you baby thank you thank you from the bottom of my heart that was it so I saved my hero well that's that's not that's not yeah. that's not bad yeah. yeah but stage fright a terrible thing to see it in a man but I mean the expectation of him you know every time he walked on, walked on stage imagine the pressure as well as all the stuff of running the damn thing mm. which Peter Hall was trying to wrest from him time it was uh, but anyone who was there at that time so uh, he was always been I mean I wrote him a fan letter when I was I went to two films in 1952 the Conquest of Everest Richard III and I wrote him a fan letter on Richard III I'd never seen her Shakespeare I got a reply really yeah yeah yeah. signed photograph my goodness yeah well, you know who, who is standing in that film was? And a package of, of Olivier's cigarettes. Oh, re- yeah. really? It was all the time. He sent a, a package of cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> to a 14-year-old boy. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Well, he's standing in that film, Richard III, was Patrick Trout. Really? Yeah, he played Tyrrell, but he was also he his, did, didn't his, he? his stand-in for, oh. for all the scenes when, because obviously Olivier was directing it. Blimey. Yeah. How extraordinary. Well, you can see it, can't you? I mean, when you think of Patrick's hair, it was, it was a bit like it would be his wig. <laughs> yeah. And what about directors then? Who are the directors that you think have brought out the best in you? Or that well, I, I know. I've worked with a lot of bloody good directors. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I've worked with Clint Eastwood. I've worked with John Houston. Not many people can say that. You know, Danny Boyle and Peter Jackson and um, all sorts of people, really. So, Eastwood strikes me as that interesting because he's a good cinema director, but he also seems to be good with actors as well. Right, he's, he's the same as with Houston. He just leaves you yourself. 
just get on with it. That's it. I mean, working with Houston was, was great. And I got a great Polaroid of me with Houston. And he's wearing a white safari suit. And he's got his arm around me and he's looking up at me. And I can remember what he said. And he said, I like you, boy. You've got humor. <laughs> and I had, a lot, I had a lot of trouble with the Sylvester Stallone old man. And because uh, he, he couldn't really do it. And I was, I based my performance on um, Cyril Cusack in uh, the, in the uh, doing the gun stuff in uh, Day of the Jackal. Yeah. And I had this camera. In it. We're talking stuff. Escape to Victory now. Yeah, Escape yeah. to Victory, yeah. yeah. And, um, <clears throat> and he had this line, <laughs> still early, he said, I, I said, oh, so where do you want to go? Whatever he's called, this goalkeeper, probable goalkeeper. <laughs> and he said, and he's supposed to say, I want to go to Dieppe. And so uh, Houston goes, an action. And Sloan goes, I want to go to DP. Cut. Sly, I think you'll find that's Dieppe. 18 takes later. DP. He changed it to Sherbrooke. <laughs> I think. But I, I could have made that up. And he didn't turn up for my reverses. Oh. And so Houston said to me, I don't think Sly is going to be here, boy. Uh, do you want to do the scene with me? I said, you bet I do. <laughs> I think you guys probably got the best deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So off camera, I, I, I did play that scene with John Houston. Fantastic. Not bad. Yeah. So is there anything um, you would have liked to have done that you, that you haven't or didn't? Or any opportunity? Well, no one wanted my Hamlet. Um, that, that's sad, and an awful lot of a lot else. I mean, they they, they have wanted my Prospero, but I I really didn't. Yeah. Not the, the, uh, no, yeah. Didn't want my Hamlet. <laughs> 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 so you have to have the Hamlet first. It's yeah. All yeah. comes as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what about the English patient? Because that was a big deal. Uh, well, it was, except I was largely cut out of it, yeah. along with an awful lot of other actors. I mean, it was. Um, it was supposed to be, you know, to be done like Lawrence of Arabia, in two parts, with an interval, and all that, they lost their nerve. And they cut an hour out of it. And some actors didn't survive, mine, I was on it for a month. You know, I had this wonderful entrance on a camel, through a mirage, like bloody, you know, Peter O'Toole, uh, all that, with the whole Arab gear, and I had a fight with Rafe, and, and then I was found a boy in a tent and, and then I rescued her and him and Kristen from the thing all gone just one scene with me and um, that American actor walking down the stairs but that was it but I remember the envelope arriving and it said from the desk of Saul's aunts and it said dear Clive I could see it was Anthony Mingella it is with a heavy heart I thought oh here we go and that was it. But at least I was still in it. There were a lot of actors who were completely cut out of it. Because, I mean, they, they didn't know what to do with it. And in the end, they got Milos Forman and Sidney Pollock to come up to the editing rooms, to the Saul Zines editing suite, and say, what the f*** do we do? How do we make this four-hour film into two, two hours or 20, whatever it was? And that was it. And it was Milos Forman and Sidney Pollock that made sense of it. Yeah, but you know, as I've said before, it's a hot kitchen. Things happen. 
But there we are. But I think, when I think of all the crap films I've done in my time, where every single deathless line of dialogue was saved, and that one is just me running downstairs, blabbing on. Well, I have to ask you this, um, because a lot of the actors that I interview for this say that it, the BBC as was was better, the way of making television as was was better, no, actors I, I, used I, to be treated better. No, I don't but, but that's, well, the reason Who'd I Who'd have thought that American drama, uh, American TV drama would be better? Mm-hmm. Who'd have thought that, you know, five years ago? Well, yeah. ten years ago. We had Jewel in the crowd. Look at it now. So why don't we do that anymore? Why, why, aren't, we, why aren't we... All, all that long archival TV endless stuff. Oh, we've got Downton Abbey. Mm. You know, it's all this stuff. Netflix, well, I don't know, I understand it already, but I don't know. But are we nostalgic about the old days with good reason in terms of the television that the BBC in particular Well, this and that. But as I said, at least, you know, in the old days we could rehearse a bit. And actors, as, as a general rule, if we rehearse, we get better. These days you have to turn up with your performance in your briefcase, basic, basically. And you're, I mean, you're asked to do what you normally do. Well, I have the two final questions uh, right. before thanking you very much for your time. So the, 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 the first question is, um, because you've given me your time very kindly, what is your charity that you would like the listeners to donate to? Well, I, I've had a lot of dealings, sadly, with um, breast cancer in my time. It's a terrible plague that's um, come upon women in, in, in my lifetime, probably before, but it's more current. And the, uh, uh, the Macmillan charity does such wonderful work in uh, anything I, I, I do. I was saying it, the money goes to Macmillan. And I will so anyone that dares to listen to me talking this rubbish, <laughs> it's going to Macmillan. Uh, and from the sublime to the ridiculous, this podcast was initiated to celebrate 50 years of Doctor Who. So what is your message to the Doctor Who fans listening out there? Grow up! <laughs> Clive Merrison, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Hope that was okay for you. Yeah. Do you hear some good stuff you're Oh, absolutely. That's uh, brilliant. Will you, will you cut it about? Yeah. My thanks to Clive and to uh, Dan Rebellato for sort of putting us in touch. Uh, I enjoyed that. It was a lot of fun. His charity is Macmillan Cancer, which is Macmillan, M-A-C-M-I-L-L-A-N dot org dot U-K, Macmillan dot org dot U-K. Clive is also on Twitter, at Clive Merrison. On the Sunday after this edition is released, I will be running 10K. Uh, the K are, uh, they're like shillings, but there are more of them and they hurt. Um, uh, I'm running for the Psoriasis Association, and I'd like to raise as much money f- as possible, which is why I'm hurting myself, because apparently people like it if you do that. So last chance to donate to that. If you could uh, Google Toby Haydoke virgin giving that will take you to my donations page and anything even a pound uh if everyone listened to this gave a pound it would uh, it would up my total so if you could do that i'd be grateful uh and if not that's fine uh, and i shall be uh, speaking to you probably through puffed breaths uh, on the next edition which will be out next week to town Welcome. My name is Theo. We are fortunate to have found each other. All of us. A community of like minds. We must look upon it as an opportunity to absolve. 
evolve. Reconnect with Gaia. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Molly had a note passed under her door during the night. I hope your burns are healing and lucky is on the mend. You are in danger here. Take care. I mean you no more harm, but I have seen things. May God protect you. Already there is unease. This ease. Disease. Sickness. Feel it in our midst. I had it. I had the death, but... You survived. I did. I'm a mess. No, you're a survivor. Books, uh, buildings, laboratories, we have so little left. There's always something to salvage. Well, if you feel the need to run, Greg, then run. Stop! What are you doing? Whatever ah! you done! You, you, stop it! Stop no. it! Leave him alone! Survivors. Series 4.